Hey, welcome aboard John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Uh, we're going to start things right off here. We got Lenny DiNardo, for, uh, Major League pitcher, currently pitching for the Lancaster Barnstormers of the Atlantic League. Lenny, what's going on, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, great, man. Good to have you on. Hey, so it turns out you're, you're actually pitching tonight. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's, what's going on this season with Lancaster and, uh, you know, stuff co- coming up to your start today. Well, uh, yeah, like you said, I'm playing for the Lancaster Barnstormers, and uh, we're actually in Camden, New Jersey, playing the uh, Camden River Sharks tonight. Uh, we uh, we started off this year on a you know really good seven seven and zero streak, and then we went on a little bit of a slump, and we we took the last four out of five, so we're uh, we're coming off a good homestand with a lot of momentum coming into this series, and we're looking forward to uh, to extending that. So you know we have a really good ball club. We've got. Uh, bunch of uh, former big leaguers, AAA guys, and uh, the camaraderie's great, which, uh, which speaks a lot to uh, the amount of wins, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a good season so far. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it did. It does, and you know, obviously, you know, most of you guys, particularly the guys that have had experience in a major league, are probably just looking to build up, you know, a good resume to return to the big leagues. How much? How much does that impact you as you go out there and you make your starts? Well, not at all, to be honest. Because if I if I stop taking my mind off the throwing strikes and keeping the ball down and start concentrating on getting out of the league and getting back to the big leagues, then uh, that's when I that's when I leave the ball up and I get hit around and it's. Uh, it wouldn't benefit me. So I basically have to just concentrate on that, keeping the ball down, throwing strikes, and keeping the guys off balance. You know, good outings will will translate to me getting, a, you know, hopefully another opportunity in the big league at some point. So you know, the old cliche is right: one pitch at a time, to keep the ball down, and get things to happen. That's, that's basically what I'm concentrating on uh, any any given day. Yeah, no, very true. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with Lenny DiNardo. Now, now, Lenny, uh, before we get into you know what, what what you've done before, you know your your trip to the big leagues and stuff like that, h- how do you think you are pitching wise as far as where you were about three four years ago? Um, is your is your command there? Is your velocity where it's been? Are you in fact kind of the same pitcher that you were, or have you changed from what you were kind of coming through the big leagues? Uh, you know what? I'm the same pitcher. I'm a little older, and I've got a little bit more knowledge. Uh, I think uh, I've never been a, a real hard thrower. Uh, growing up, I, I looked up to guys like Tom Gladden, Greg Maddox, guys that uh, are smart pitchers that, that keep the ball down. They're hitting spots. They're changing speeds and, and basically uh, keeping the hitter's timing off balance. Um, I'm the same pitcher I was then. I've got more experience, and I feel like I, I know a little bit more about the game. So as far as... Uh, me, I'm the same pitcher, and uh, I, I really haven't added any more pitchers. I've got a cut fastball, the same cutter that I've had before, but uh, I, I think it's a better pitch now because I know different situations to throw it, better situations, I, I should say. No, very true, man. Now, listen, as you started out, you're a third-round draft pick in the Mets in the 2001 draft. 2004, or prior to 2004, you were taken in the Rule 5 draft by, by the Boston Red Sox. First question I want to ask you before I ask you about that season is, were, were you up in the majors that whole season because of the Rule 5 draft rules? 
Yeah, I was up uh, the whole. I've got a full season in 2004, and I, I believe I pitched in 22 games out of the bullpen. And uh, I was a guy that would come in and mop up if the the starter if they got knocked out in the first, second, third inning. I would go in and uh, basically two, two, three, four innings up in the middle of the game to save our bullpen. Uh, not having these, you know, guys that would more likely set up or close, you know, we'd save those guys for the next game where we, had, we actually had a chance to win. So I was a mop-up guy, I was a long guy, and I, I would trade it for a second. 24-year-old guy that never pitched in AAA an inning, went from the Mets to AA all the way up to the big leagues at Fenway. You know, it's, uh, it's an honor to be able to, to say I was a part of that team, a small part of it, but uh, still a part. And, uh, you know, I look back on those days coming up on uh, 19 years ago and uh, yeah, well, uh, with, with very fond memories yeah it was a good time no no very true and then yeah obviously from from the uh from the team standpoint uh if they keep you up on a roster the whole year they get to kind of do do what they want with you the next year but you know so it ends up being kind of a fair trade-off but it had to be excited being on that 2004 team you know i know you weren't on a postseason roster but following them through the playoffs and their run and you know eventually uh, eventually winning a world series huh Incredible, incredible. You know, it's, it was it was awesome, and you know they gave me an opportunity uh, in 2005 and 2006 as, as well. I was I was uh, kind of shuffled up and down between Pawtucket, AAA, and the big leagues both of those two years, and uh, I was really learning learning on the job. And uh, you really can't pick a better atmosphere than the Boston Red Sox to uh, to for learning situations and getting your feet wet. And then in 2007, I uh, was actually up the full year with uh, Oakland. Uh, 20 starts, 15 relief appearances, and, uh, you know, I attribute that to my, my previous years of, of getting my feet wet in way, like I said. No, no, very true. Once again, it's John Pielli. I'm here with uh, left-hand pitcher Lenny DiNardo. Now, now, you know, you go over, you, you end up take, being taken on waivers in 2007 by the by, by the Athletics. And, you know, you know, as you said, you end up getting a prominent role on that team. You make the 20 starts. Um, is this is this kind of the, the, the finished product for you at that point of everything? You know, like you just said, the, the work that you had over the last couple of years uh, finally all got itself together in the 2007 season, which I'm sure I'm sure it's a year that you were pretty proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I would call it a finished product. It's never really finished because you're always working on different things. You're always learning things. But uh, I would say I wouldn't have the success that I had in 2007 with the A's if it wasn't for some of my experiences with uh, the Red Sox in 2004, 5, and 6. You know, I, uh, I learned from a lot of veterans, Mike Timlin, Keith Falk, those guys took me under their wings and, uh, and showed me the ropes. And, uh, and a lot of the success I had in 2007 was, uh, can be attributed to them and uh, that ball club. And I tell you, it's got to be it's got to be frustrating because you know, you're a guy still going out there pitching. Like I said, you're pitching tonight. Um, you know, it's been since 2009 since you since you've been in the major leagues. But um, you know, after after the Royals had you for a little while, you were back with the Athletics, back with the Red Sox, back with the Athletics again. And you know, that must have been a tough time for you to kind of go back to organizations that you that you had some success and you had some time with in the major leagues, and kind of not able to get back there. Yeah, but you know what? I've got parts of six six seasons up there. I'm around four years service time, and uh, it's it's really not a bad life. It really beats a nine to five job. I'm sure it is. Sure it isn't bad. You know, I'll, I'll never look back and say, "Poor me." You know, I'm still trying to make the big leagues after <laughs> pitching in tri- after a Triple A season. It's uh, it's a great life. I'm uh, I'm able to support my family with it, and uh, you know, I'm, I'll never look back and say, "Oh man, I'm." 
not really doing well right now. It, it's fun. I'm playing a game for a living, and I honestly cannot beat that. It's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, no question. Listen, before before I let you go, you know, you got a chance a couple of years to uh, be part of Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic. Tell us a little bit about that. It was a lot of fun. I was there in 2006 and 2009. And uh, uh, Mike Piazza was on the team the first year, and he was a coach the, the second time around. Frank Catalanato was there, and I faced him previously, and he's a really great guy as well. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. The best thing the best thing I remember about it was seeing the enthusiasm of the guys from Italy. They were, uh, you know, looking at a guy like Mike Piazza. Those guys were just their jaws dropped on the floor. He's an icon, you know, especially the guys over there that really want an opportunity to play over in the States. And uh, just their enthusiasm really just built us up uh, being from the United States to appreciate the game and the opportunity that we have. Yeah, no question. And, and actually, did you get a chance to follow the team this year, this past season? You had a nice little run in them. You know what? I've, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of hearing about certain things, but I've got a seven-month-old baby right now, and she's nah. taking most of my attention at that point. <laughs> I was putting uh, 100% of my concentration into that. But, uh, you know, from what I was hearing, you know, they, they put on a good run, and, uh, you know, they're getting better each time out. So I think they're, they're really going to have a chance to contend the next next go around. Hey, you ever have any interest in maybe, uh, you know, if, if not pitching for them, maybe being part of uh, Team Italy, maybe as a coach or something, maybe the next time around? Absolutely, absolutely. If they, uh, if they gave me that opportunity, I think I'd run with it. Yeah, that's, uh, that'd, that'd be an honor. All right, man. Listen, best of luck tonight. Uh, you know, hopefully things end up working out. I'm sure, you know, you got some pregame to do to get ready to uh, go out there and pitch. Once again, Lenny DiNardo pitches for the Lancaster Barnstormers of the Atlantic League. Um, he's actually pitching tonight. You know, I wish you the best of luck, and uh, thanks for your time. I hope to have you in the show sometime in the near future. All right, John. Thanks. I appreciate it very much. Thanks hey, take care, me. man. And I was Lenny DiNardo, who's a pitcher. I have obviously about six years of Major League experience from 2004 to 2009. And, uh, you know, very good job. Uh, they're kind of just breaking down things. And, and what, I, what I was in, impressed with was the fact that, you know, as a Rule 5 pick, you got to kind of sit up on a, you know, on a Major League roster the entire season. I mean, to be on a, a roster 162 games and only get into 22. Uh, you know, me, means that the you know the organization is having some faith in you because you're you're holding up a roster spot that um, you know is not being used that much, and obviously to no fault of your own. But you know the Red Sox end up getting the control over them over the next couple seasons. But uh, you know Lenny Donardo is pitching in the Atlantic League for Lancaster. Obviously, wish him the best of luck. This is John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, and uh, hopefully. You guys are listening to me from, uh, you know, around 10 o'clock or so on a Saturday morning. Um, do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview with Lenny DiNardo. But, um, you know, I want to get into a couple things going on with the show. And I've said it before, you know, that I, how much I love what I do. I mean, I love the fact that I get here, I get a chance to talk baseball, something that's been my passion, something that I've loved my entire life. And I, to a point that I, I would do it for free. And, you know, it, 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 it's a great feeling to have. And I would also do it to a point where I would I would do a show knowing that nobody listened to it. I mean, that, that's how much I love what I do. 
and you know, you know, MTR Radio is doing a great job going through their new programming with the with the whole different lineup and everything. And um, you know, hopefully, we get me set up to where I could be on there. You know, from ten to twelve on every every Saturday morning. Hopefully, another replay time uh, during the week, so you guys get to listen to everything that's going on. Me touching on issues in baseball, whether they're conventional, whether they're you know from the historical standpoint. And uh, you know, I do have some really good guests that I I, ho- I hope you guys could go out there and listen to. But like I said, dude, if I'm if I'm doing this to the wall, if I'm just saying it, if I'm speaking with these people, dude, it's fine with me. I mean, I, I love what I do that much. But you know, going on into things, I do want to get into some stuff going on with the New York Mets, the Philadelphia Phillies. Maybe touch a little bit about the Yankees. A couple historical things that I do want to hit up within this program. But what I'm going to start out with is the Philadelphia Phillies, and they're sitting. And you know, as I, as I don't want to get too much into where they are at the moment, as this is uh, more of like a duration type of thing. Um, they, you know, they're 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 under 500 right now. They've gotten off to a bad start. A lot of people have expected, including myself, the Philadelphia Phillies to be better than they they actually have been to this point. And you know, they've had some injuries. Obviously, the Roy Holiday injury is a, is a very very big blow to that team. John Lennon, a guy they signed to be their fifth starter, is sitting on a disabled list as we speak. So so the Phillies do have a couple injuries, but the key has been their offense. Their offense has not really gotten off to the greatest of starts. And uh, in a division where you got the Nationals and the Braves, the Phillies, I think in their right mind, particularly with the fan base and everything, really felt like they could compete with these other teams. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not at the point where I'm ready to throw in the towel if I'm the Philadelphia Phillies. But one thing that I'm really not looking to do is, is start shifting off pieces. I mean, I, I understand that it's the fans feeling when it comes to a sports team whether whether it's baseball football basketball or hockey whatever you're passionate about whatever your favorite teams are that get you in there the most that make you want to really feel part of something that it's either it's either all or nothing and that's the way fans are not just in philadelphia but in new york in any region Uh, if you're if you're a fan of a team you expect that team to go out there and win and once you have enough confidence built that that team can get the job done, whether it's in the offseason, whether it's in spring training, whether it's the start of the season, whether it's just playing well, you, ha- you have that feeling that you think they could go out there and win it all. But what happens once that doesn't exist? Let's say there's high expectations like there were for the Philadelphia Phillies coming into the season. And, and you go out there and you see the team is three, four, five games under 500, kind of toggling back and forth, watching the Braves and the Nationals well over 500, other teams in the league off the really good starts, but the Philadelphia Phillies are not. What does the average fan want to go out there and do? They say, all right, break it up, get rid of everybody. You know, that, that's the dramatic fan, the one that's way too much to the one side. They say, hey, forget the whole thing. Let's just get rid of everybody. And then the other one is like, all right, well, let's see what pieces we could trade to get something. Let's be honest. When it gets to June and July and people start selling off pieces, they're selling these pieces for 50 to maybe 75 cents on a dollar. You're not getting that that big package that you're expecting by moving certain players. And a couple players that could be attractive to other teams might be a Michael Young, might be a Delman Young, might be a even a Jonathan Papelbon. But you got to understand, right? Now I'm going to get into Papelbon for a second. For the last two seasons, this guy has been no, nothing short of phenomenal as a closer for the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies last season had a dreadful bullpen that was held up by one thing, by one consistent pitcher and that was Jonathan Papelbon he's pitching to a a round of one ERA right now he's got you know x amount of saves he's getting the job done 
why do you want to rid, rid yourself of that? You went out there and you rebuilt your bullpen. You brought in a Mike Adams. You brought in a Chad Durbin. And some other guys have been able to kind of fill in the pieces where overall the Philadelphia Phillies have a, a, a good bullpen. A better bullpen, certainly, than they had last season. But for somebody that's got the white flag hung up, they, they are interested in what you could get for Jonathan Papelbon. And to me, you're not going to get that, that value of, you, of what you're expecting. The, the value that you're expecting, and here, here's a scenario that I'll come up with. Uh, that Philly fan that's out there, or, or maybe the person that covers the team, that beat writer, the person involved in the organization, is going to want to trade Jonathan Papelbon to a place like St. Louis. And they, and they want to dive in and get those young arms that they have. They want to get, you know, a Martinez. They want to get a, 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 a Trevor Rosenthal. They want to get a Gasp. They want to get player, players like this who are throwing the ball in the mid to high 90s and insert them into their own bullpen and say, hey, maybe we could get a closer. Maybe we could get a starter. You know, we could really get a huge haul if we trade Jonathan Papelbon to the St. Louis Cardinals. But you know what has to happen for that trade to take place? The St. Louis Cardinals have to consent to it. And they're not in their right mind going to want to acquire a a good pitcher, a very good closer, a top five closer in Major League Baseball right now for the arms and the potential of what they have the chance to do. The St. Louis Cardinals have done things the right way for years for a reason. And obviously it's worked out. They're always at the top of their division. They've won a couple World Series in the last six, seven years. So they're not going to go out there and make a trade like that for a closer. Let's be honest. Jason Mott was their closer. Obviously, he's out for the season for Tommy John surgery. Jason Mott was a guy they brought up through their own system and put into that job, put into that role, and he, he excelled for them. So the Cardinals are amongst the teams that are in belief of thinking that they can go out there and develop a closer as opposed to spending a lot of money for one. And Jonathan Papelbon at $12 million for the next two years is a value. And, and unless something breaks down with his arm, unless he gets injured, unless he struggles mightily, which is unlikely to happen based on his performance through the first two years of his contract, that's not going to be bad value. But not for the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals are comfortable enough to probably say that Jason Mott's going to be back next year and maybe his arm will be even better. And the St. Louis Cardinals will be more inclined to use a Martinez or a Rosenthal in their bullpen like they did with Rosenthal last year in a postseason and get some results from them. Edwin Mejica has done a phenomenal job for the St. Louis Cardinals since he was acquired last year in a trade for Zach Cox with the Miami Marlins. And he's going to be their closer now. You'll see how it works. Sometimes setup man can't, can't do the job as a closer. But there's enough confidence that young pitchers can kind of hold in. And the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen, which a lot of people were critical of going into the late part of the 2011 season, into the postseason, they really, they really ended up straightening it out. Straightening it out to a point that guys like Mitchell Boggs and Mark Ritzinski could be sent down to the minor leagues. So you're looking at a team that really isn't looking at their bullpen as a weakness. Yes, as the deadline comes up. July 31st they're going to go out there and make a move or two I you know if there's a closer Jonathan Broxton with Cincinnati obviously Cincinnati is a team that they're competing with but just to use them as an example a closer that's doing a setup man's role for a certain team would be a prime candidate for the St. Louis Cardinals to go out there and acquire that being said listen nothing right now 
is going to make me think that the Cardinals are going to go out there and make a drastic move for a relief pitcher. I think that they have enough confidence with their guys that they're going to get the job done. They have enough confidence in Mitchell Boggs and Mark Rusinski when they're done pitching in the minors, straightening out their issues, that they can go out there and be successful on the major league level and help this bullpen out. So when it comes to Papelbon, unless you're you're throwing that scenario with the St. Louis Cardinals that you could get these young arms, which is not going to happen, where else are you going to send them? Who else is that desperate for a relief pitcher that thinks that they're going to get as much for him as possible? I just don't think you're going to get the value when it comes down to it if you're the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Philadelphia Phillies, whether they take a step back next year, I don't know what the plan is going to be. I think there's a lot to figure out before that happens. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to be a better team with Jonathan Papelbon pitching the ninth inning over the next couple seasons than they will be if they trade him now or next year. Once again, it's John Pielli, Passballs Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take our first break of the day, be back with a lot more going on after this. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. Thanks for having some time today. Uh, reminding you guys, and unfortunately I wasn't able to get the message out last week, but um, I want my show to be interactive. Whether, whether I'm recording my show a couple days before and playing it at certain times, what, what I have vowed to my listener, and, and this is a promise from me, that, I will, that I, I will be interactive during my shows, whether they're live or being played. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to use my Twitter account. That's at, at John underscore Pielli. John underscore P-I-E-L-L-I. Feel free to follow me on Twitter. Uh, you know, there's uh, plenty of people that already do. But if there's anything that you disagree with, anything you want to comment on, I will address every single mention that, that my Twitter account gets while my show is on the air. So if I'm sitting on my couch and the show's playing from 10 to 12 on a Saturday morning and you got something that you want to say, just just at me, tweet at me, and I, and I will respond. I'll be in a position to reply to every single mention that I get during my, my, my show, which is going to play from 10 to 12 on Saturdays. And I'll let you know when there's going to be some other time. So I do want to make sure that we keep the interactivity going. I think it's something that's, that's, that's been great. It's worked to this point. We've had a lot of fun. We're going to get into some things. I, I want to kind of get in with the Mets a little bit. And this may take a segment or two, unfortunately, because looking at the team right now, and listen, I don't think anybody is surprised that the fact that the Mets have struggled. I don't think too many people are surprised at the fact that the Mets have not looked very good at all this season. 
But I think some people are surprised based on what has happened before and what, you know, what is happening now is that they expected probably a little more fight to start out the season. I think I think they expected a little bit more of a of a good start segueing into a, a bad finish like things have happened over the last several seasons. You know, we've talked about the 2000 seven season the 2008 season the september uh you want to want to call them both collapses 2007 was listen 2008 is a collapse would not have been a collapse if 2007 didn't happen a year before and then you get into 2009 how it just fell apart after after all the injuries 2010 2011 2012 you had some points of those seasons that were actually going okay and it just kind of faded away in the second half that's been the Mets mantra. As a Mets fan over the last couple of years, that's what you've grown to expect as a Mets fan. Well, listen, this is the other side of it. This is what happens to teams that just aren't good. They struggle all season. And Mets fans probably haven't seen that since, let's say, uh, 2003, 2004 under Art Howe. Or prior to that, the mid to early 90s. The worst team money can buy in 1992. And, and if you're old enough to remember the late 70s and, geez, the early 60s, when, when you have a bad team, your team doesn't win at all. You go through stretches. And I, I've had this gut feeling in my head about the second half of the last couple seasons, knowing that things are just spiraling out of control and know that the team is really incapable of getting a lot of wins in succession. And I feel that right now. And I feel that right now. And I think it's something that, uh, that, that, I, that I have a hard time understanding just because as a fan, you want to see, thing, see things continue to go. You want to see things go on the up and up. You want to see what you've seen over the last couple seasons, at the very least, see the team have a strong first half going into the second half. And those are things that you want to see as a fan. But you know what? What happens when your team isn't good? You have things happen that are happening right now. The team is several games under 500. You have, you have a situation where the team's not hitting. The team's not pitching. Really outside of the, the starts that Matt Harvey has is on, and he's on the mound, uh, there's no chance that the team could win because the other starters aren't good. The bullpen isn't good. The offense is just at a point where you'd be surprised to see them score any runs. There's a game against the St. Louis Cardinals that they get a gift of three runs because Carlos Beltran misjudges a fly ball because of the sun, and, and then a ground ball squirts by the pitcher that the shortstop misses, and the Mets get three runs out of it. Other than that, they don't score the entire game. This is what you're going to get used to seeing from the New York Mets unless there's any changes made. And I'm not talking about changes for the, the distant future. This isn't a situation where you're looking at what players to dump. Because let's be honest, if you're going to ask uh, other teams what players the, the, they have the most interest in with the New York Mets, yes, everybody's going to want Matt Harvey. Some people are going to want Jonathan Neese. Some people are going to want David Wright and maybe Daniel Murphy. But the rest of the players on this team are, are not, are not going to have any interest from any other teams. So what do you do? You get yourself in the environment where you're thinking about 2014. Because let's be honest, since Sandy Alderson took over this team, it has all been about 2014. But the difference between the last three seasons and 2014, listen for a second, is that the same excuse over the first three seasons are not going to apply to next season. 
And that's why Sandy Alderson, whatever he's saying, and listen, you, you can listen to his interviews all day, no matter who he's speaking with. He is not going to be very, uh, very forthcoming. He's not going to be very, uh, you know, very to the point and give you details and things that that you may or may not want to hear about what he's thinking and what the organization is looking to do. But I'm going to tell you right now what he has to do. We're going to start out with Ike Davis. And listen, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. If you followed MTR through over the course of most of the sports talk day, uh, there's been a lot of discussion about Ike Davis and whether or not he should go down to AAA. If you listen to New York sports radio, you know it's something that's continuously up there. You open the phone lines to the callers, and the callers call in, and they say send Ike Davis down to the minors. The Mets maybe in a little bit of a conundrum because they look at what happened with Ike Davis last year. A very bad start to start the season. He was well under the Mendoza line for an extended period of time and all of a sudden he kicked it into gear. Once he realized that he had the support of the organization and the team, he got out there, he straightened himself up and he had a phenomenal finish to the season, had 32 home runs. That was great. But you're in a situation where you're seeing the same thing happen right now. And it's not a guarantee that Ike Davis is going to go on a tear and hit 32 home runs again. He is looking very, very much overmatched at the plate. He's thinking too much when he's up there, whether he should change his stance or not change his stance or whatever he's out there trying to do. It's just not working. And the unfortunate thing about it, if you're Ike Davis, is that you, you just get to a point where you realize that things have just spiraled out of control and you got to go back to basics. You can't continue to go out there and be a number four hitter on this team or any team for that matter. The best thing that has to happen and it has to happen soon is Ike Davis has to get sent down to AAA. And I've mentioned this before on other programs. You've heard it on MTR. Uh, you've heard other people say the same thing. Ike Davis has got to be down in Las Vegas right now. The Mets cannot focus on who his replacement's going to be when he's down. They have to go out there and just send him down, allow him to be down there for two, three, four weeks, as long as it takes for him to straighten himself out, for him to regain his confidence, for him to go out there and just feel like he can pitch, at, uh, he, could, he could perform as a hitter at the major league level, hit home runs, be a force in the middle of the New York Mets batting order. Until that happens, listen, just like I I just said it's not about this season. It is about 2014. 2014 is when Sandy Alderson's ass is going to be in a line. He has a responsibility to make sure that that team is ready, not just to be better than it is right now, but to be ready to go out there and win 85-plus games. And if it's not, you're going to question what this guy has done over the last four or five seasons. It has to happen. And if you send Ike Davis down, there's two options right now, uh, pretty much of players you could bring up. You heard a lot of talk about moving Lucas Duda to first base. Uh, I, I don't think that works right now, unless the Mets are going to go out there and acquire an outfielder. Uh, right now, Lucas Duda is going to be playing left field. He is the most comfortable out there in left field than he is when he was playing right field. Uh, I think you could deal with some of the, the, uh, the, the things that aren't working right with Lucas all the time. I think overall you say, hey, here's a guy that's going to go on a run. He's going to be able to hit. He is not struggling anywhere near as bad as Ike Davis is. He gets some base hits. He draws his share of walks. And he's not killing you out in left field. I think you keep him out there. 
two guys that are down in AAA Las Vegas right now. Uh, their starting first baseman and their starting third baseman have both been guys that have had ties to the Mets for a long time, have both been up in the major leagues. I'm going to start out with Zach Lutz. Zach Lutz had a very good spring training this year for the New York Mets. He, 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 he was probably good enough to make the team based on his performance. Unfortunately, due to a roster crunch in the situation that the Mets were in, they had to send him down to the minors. He has options. Obviously, that's what happens a lot of the time. David Wright may have may or may not have started the season on the disabled list. If that happened, then yes, Lutz would 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 start the season on a team. There was thought about maybe Justin Turner starting the season off on a disabled list. That didn't happen. Now, it, it, had it happened, Lutz would have been up here. Lutz is probably more of a third baseman than a first baseman, but he's played first base. He's actually played some outfield out in Las Vegas this season. Uh, you know, with with the Mets' hopes of maybe if they're in a situation where they need another outfielder, they've they've uh, they they're they're in a spot where they can get him up here and i and and i think that you know listen you 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 let him play first base for the majority part of uh, about two three weeks and then you get to see what zach lutz can do zach lutz got 11 at bats last year he's one for 11 as a september call-up let's be honest he's not in a position he was not in a position where he could really show what he could do are you expecting zach lutz to go out there and be ike davis no but are you expecting Zach Lutz to go out there and have some sort of productivity? Yes. I think he could go out there and hit 250, 260 over that time. And that's a lot better than 180. If he hits a home run or two, it's fine. We're not looking for a guy to go out there and have that much power. What you're working on is Ike Davis, who's going to work on getting his power back and his ability to hit the ball again. So I'm in favor of Zach Lutz coming up here. He's a guy that I've seen in spring training over the last couple seasons, and and I've I've liked what I've seen. Is he overall an everyday player? Probably not. But in a situation where things are not working out well, when when the team is kind of going through a transition, he is a guy that I could see go out there every day and be productive. Another guy who you know has to be re-added to the 40-man roster, and that's Josh, Josh Satin. And Josh Satin, I've seen probably for in the past two years, prior really the past two years down in Binghamton, where he was playing second base and third base, and now he's pretty much set himself as a first baseman. Not really a very good defender. And that, that's one thing that you, you hear a lot of the Mets blog people and stuff like that. Uh, they're talking about the loss of Ike's defense at first base. But when you get to a point where the defense does does not weigh outweigh what you're getting offensively. You got to make a change. The same thing, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to get into it too much. Or I will in a little bit. Is center field with Juan Lagares. If the guy's not hitting a lick, I don't care how he plays defensively. But in regards to Josh Satin, I think it's a situation that uh, that that you're looking at a guy that I think can go out there and get the job done uh, on a semi on a semi regular basis. He's actually gone out there. He's performed pretty well. 295, five homers, 20 RBIs at the moment of the broadcast with nine doubles. He showed he could hit a little bit, you know, you know, with with the through the minors and had a couple cups of coffee with the Mets. But here's a guy that isn't going to give you much defensively. Yes, you might have to try to figure out a way to spell him, maybe with a Justin Turner in the ninth inning or something like that. You understand that you're taking a hit defensively, but at the same time, you got to give yourself a chance to compete in these games. And and the major leagues is not the minor leagues. It's a, this isn't a place where you run guys out there and just see what they got. You need to put the best team on the field in the major leagues, no matter what direction your team is going. And that's why I think that it, it is time to send Ike Davis down. 
do I have a choice who, who would rather see Josh Satin or, Je- or Zach Lutz? I think Lutz has a little more of an upside. I think he could be a, a potential 15, 20 home run guy in a full major league season. I don't think Satin is that type of player, but I do think Satin could provide more along the lines of average. He's a guy that hits the ball the other way. He has some gap power. He may not necessarily be a home run hitter, but he has the ability to go out there, hit for a high average, get on base, and just kind of help out. I mean, you're not looking for either one of these guys to jump into the number four spot of the batting order. And if you look, you have a guy up here, you want to pinch hit a Valdespin for one of these guys, I don't see why it would be a problem. I think that's something fair, and it's something that, that could be done late in games. But at the same time, you're giving yourself the best chance to compete, something that you're not getting with Ike Davis right now. But once again, John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Uh, of course, reminding you, anything you got to say, feel free to tweet me at John underscore Pielli. That's John underscore P-I-E-L-L-I on Twitter. Of course, feel free to follow me if you don't already. But we're going to take another break. Um, you know, Hopefully in a little bit, we're going to hear from a minor league pitcher in the New York Mets organization named uh, Chasen Bradford, who I saw pitch last year for Savannah. He's up in Port St. Lucie right now. And uh, I think as soon as he finishes his practice, he's going to give us a call so um, once again John Pielli Passball Show MTR Radio Network uh, we'll be back with a little more stuff going on after this Welcome back. This is John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're trying to finish up the first hour here. We're going to get into a little bit of Yankees talk um, as we try to finish up things. And obviously, if you're listening to the show at this time, you know what's going on with the New York Yankees. The fact that they continue to be battered and injured, but continue to fight regardless. Listen, it's it, it's it's got to be exciting for the fan base to see this because, really, if you if you follow the Yankees over the last twenty years or so, I mean, you've realized the fact that they they've gone out there and their intentions are to get the best players and to have the best players perform the best. And you know, once they started getting back to the postseason in '95 and winning World Series championships again, it became always about team players that are gifted and the gifts are shown on a day in and day out basis. You've never seen a team have to go out there and grit and grind the way the 2013 New York Yankees have, have done. And, and I'm not going to get into the laundry list of, it, of, of injuries. I talked about it last week. Uh, feel free. Uh, my, my shows are, are all archived and uh, audio is all available on my johnpielli.com website, uh, www.johnpielli.com. Um, there's a, there's a uh, JPP ball show. 
uh, archive page, uh, tab that you just click on. Every single one of my shows, all 80 of my shows are up there. So if you want to listen to last week, I'll get into a little more of the Yankees injuries. But that's not what I want to talk about right now. What I do want to talk about right now is the resiliency and the fact that this New York Yankee team really reaches out to the fan base. And the fan base wants grinders. They want guys that are out there fighting, no matter what team you root for. Uh, fans want to see their guys scrap and claw and do everything they can to win some baseball games. And that's what you're seeing with the New York Yankees here. And yes, they do have some players that are gifted. They have some players that, that, that were retreads through other teams and have had some success before and are going out there and fighting hard for spots, not only on the Yankees roster, but spots in the everyday lineup. And in the mantra that you've heard before, you've heard me say, you've heard others say that it's a situation where you want, uh, you know, the guys to just fight and give you for everything they got. Hold things up until the big guys get back. Well, right now, a lot of fans don't want the big guys to come back. And that's why I find it funny. I find it hilarious. I laugh my ass off when I hear this, because what you're getting right now is smoke and mirrors. And it's unfortunate. You're getting some smoke right now. You're getting guys that are performing at a level that it may be a little too high to expect. And the unfortunate thing, the unfortunate thing about it is it's not going to last forever. But at the same time, you want to ride it out as long as you can. You don't know exactly when that day is going to come where these players don't perform at this level. And we're going to put that on hold. We're going to take in this phone call. I believe this is Chase and Bradford. Is this you? Yes, it is. How's it going? Hey, what's going on, buddy? Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hey, no problem. As was what I, I caught you right after practice today. Uh, we had a game. Oh, okay. We nice, man. How, how did it end up going? Uh, we won four nothing. My roommate threw uh, one hitter through seven, so it was good. Nice, nice. So, so you ended up not getting in the game, huh? Yeah. Nah, it's all right, man. Listen, man. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for having some minute, you know, a couple minutes to be part of the program today. Uh, listen, you know, you're you're in, you're in there. You're kind of in your third year in the in the minor league system right now. How where where would you feel that your development is? Are you you feel you feel like you've accomplished um, what you need to do to get to the next level, or you still got some things you're working on? Um, I've, I've set a good foundation. That's for sure. Um, I still have a lot to work on, though. I've run into a couple of situations this year that haven't gone my way, but it's part of the game. You know, you, you learn from them and you move on, and you, you use it to your advantage the next time you go out there. Yeah, very true, man. Once again, it's John Piella. I'm here with uh, Mets minor league pitcher Chasen Bradford. Now, it, uh, I got a chance to see you a little bit last year when you were pitching for Savannah. I'm over in the New Jersey area, so I could take the trip over to Lakewood when they, uh, they play the Lakewood Blue Claws. Um, you know, a lot of fans listening. I do have a lot of Mets fans that follow into the show. Tell, tell us a little bit about y- your makeup as a pitcher, what, you, what your strengths are, what, uh, what type of pitches you throw and stuff like that, just to let the, uh, the audience know a little bit about you. Well, uh, I'm not a power guy. Um, I usually sit 91, 92. Um, mostly sinkers, sinker slider. Throw my change of first strike also, but uh, I'm mostly a contact guy. I get pop-ups a lot and ground balls, so I'm not going to put up the numbers as a strikeout guy. I'm not going to light up the radar gun at 96, but 
when I can, I'll do my job. No, nah, I'll tell you, I mean, the type of pitcher that you are is needed, even at the major league level. I mean, a guy that can throw throw the ball down, get a lot of ground balls. I mean, there's a lot of situations where you got a couple guys on base. You want somebody to come in that's going to be able to ride the ball in on a right-hand batter or, you know, away on a left-hand batter to a point where they get them put the ball on the ground, get that key double play late in the game. So, you know, you, know, you're, you obviously got something going on there. Now, as you came up, you were, you were drafted in the 2011 drafts only a couple of years ago. Um, you know, how, how did you feel when you were when you were drafted and taken by the by the Mets in the thirty fifth round? Um, I was excited. Uh, I only had two teams talk to me during the season: the Mets and the, the Giants. And um, when uh, my scout called me, I was like, "Hey, we just drafted you." I was uh, more than excited to put on a professional uniform. It's a great experience to be drafted, and it's something you only live once. So. No, very true, man. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with Jason Bradford out of the Mets organization. Now, you, know, you came up in 2011. You had a chance to pitch a little bit for Kingsport in the Appalachian League. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about your first reaction, kind of pitching professionally. You go out there, you get in there, you, you got the uniform on, you're in the game for the first time. H- how does it how does it feel as a professional pitcher to finally be throwing a ball? Uh, it was awesome, except for the fact that it was raining. Um, <laughs> it wasn't wasn't a perfect sunny day, but it was it was a great experience um, just to start the career. And uh, I think I, I think I threw two innings or something and no runs, so it was a good start. No, absolutely, man. And uh, you know, as as you go forward, you know, you're obviously looking for for ways to kind of improve yourself and improve your stock a little bit. Um, you know, as the season goes on, hopefully to move up through the Mets chain. Is there anything in particular that you're really looking to do to try to improve on? Um, just get my numbers down. That's basically it. Just go out there every day and do my job when I'm asked to do it. Um, been having a couple of bad appearances lately, but. You know, it's baseball. It's it's part of the game. It's, it's a game of failure, people say. So, I just gotta keep on the grindstone, keep working hard, um, and just get back out there and try to have some more good innings and knock out these bad ones. So. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Piel. I'm here with Chase and Bradford. Now, uh, you know, I always I always like to ask this because uh, you know certain pitchers, uh, you know, started started before they, they were drafted and became relievers. Some some were relievers the entire time. Obviously, the Mets organization has used you as a reliever since you've been drafted. It was that was that what you were coming in to the time you were drafted, or did you do you have experience starting as well? through college um, I started and then I relieved in college I, I did both so um, it wasn't a giant switch for me since I've been through it before I started um, the last I think 10 games I pitched at UCF um, but before that I, I went there as a reliever and then in junior college I was a starter and a reliever also so it's a uh, I've been both. Now, listen, man. Listen, I want to wish you the best of luck. Hopefully, things continue to work out for you. You get those numbers down a little bit, and we see you go through through the Mets system, man. And, uh, you know, when I see you, you know, I'll call out to you. Make sure you say hello. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. Best of luck to you, Chase, and thanks for having some time today. No problem. Thank you. Yep.
I was chasing Bradford. He's a pitcher for the right now. He's pitching for the Port St. Lucie team in the you know high A ball, and uh, you know I got to see him last year pitching for for Savannah. And I t- told you all along that I, I I make a trip every year from Jackson where I live over to uh, to Lakewood when uh, Sanats played at Blue Claws, and he did he got into a game or two that I got to see last year. He's a young pitcher, like you said. He like like he said he's a more of a sinker slider guy. Get the you know get the ground ball outs, and obviously you need them as as, as you move on through you know as you move on through a, a bullpen and uh, you know he, he's, he's got a chance he's pitching a little bit to a high ERA at this point he's had a couple bad games but um, you know I think as the season goes on you see those numbers come down just like he said but uh, you know it's great to have a couple minutes to talk to him today we're going to finish up as we're finishing up this uh, this, this hour of the program uh, lots of things I do want to get into in the second hour I want to talk about some potential trades that I could see the Mets making um, I also want to get into a couple historical things uh, Napoleon Lajoie, who I think was one of the more underrated hitters of the of the of the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, he's known for the, for the uh, the winning the batting title because the St. Louis Cardinals laid down and allowed it, uh, allowed him to get six uh, what was it six for eight in the doubleheader based on a bunch of bunt singles. Um, the umpires. I want to get into the umpire situation again. My opinion has changed a little bit in regards to how I feel that the umpires are kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of need to be treated. And I think it's time for a little tough love. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show MTR Radio Network. Uh, we're finishing up the first hour. Of course, we were talking New York Yankees. And we got into a little bit going on with, with how they're doing some stuff in mirrors. How uh, the guys that they've brought in to play small roles on the team have done a phenomenal job to this point. And they deserve credit for that. They've done very well. It's not going to last forever, unfortunately. But what the Yankees are looking to have happen, and fans, what I, I think they would like to see, the ideal world would see these guys kind of fade away a little bit as the regular players start to come back. That starts with Curtis Granderson, who will be back in the lineup, uh, if not this week, by next week. Then you got guys like Derek Jeter and Mark Teixeira and Kevin Euclid and Alex Rodriguez. And then you think of some of the other guys that are out, like Francisco Cervelli and some of the pitchers with Robertson and Jabba Chamberlain. They got a lot of people out right now. When, when all these other players come back, ideally you want to just kind of move smooth, smooth transition and compete like they've done over the last several seasons. That's what has to happen for the Yankees. So when fans go out there and just say, hey, it's time to just not bring these guys back, I understand no, no fan's going to go out there and say we don't want Derek Jeter. If you're a New York Yankee fan, you love Derek Jeter. You think he's the greatest thing ever. You'll take Derek Jeter playing for the New York Yankees for the next 20 years. Derek Jeter's not the issue. Fans get bitter and upset. They hold what happens in the last couple postseasons against the players. They like the fact that there's new blood. There's different players. Players that they haven't booed yet. Players that they don't hate. And listen, we know it's a love-hate relationship between fans and players. We understand that. But what has to happen is the team has to be able able to and have the ability to put the best players on the field. The best possible players. And that's not the most trendy players. That's not the players that fans have not gone out there and booed yet. Because I'm telling you, as much as you like Vernon Wells right now, and I've said all along, I was the biggest advocate of Vernon Wells coming to the New York Yankees, even before, way before it happened, is that these players are going to go back to kind of what they were. Vernon Wells might have a big season next this year. It may maybe possible. He is probably the most 
closest thing to a sure thing that the Yankees have acquired off the waiver wire and trades. Brennan Bosch, he, he's okay at best. He might be able to produce a little bit here and there, but he's not a regular player when the Yankees have their full team. Ben Francisco's on his way out. It's understandable. Lyle Overbay has been a huge surprise for what he's been able to do because Lyle Overbay over the last several seasons has proved himself to be really nothing more than a defensive replacement and a pinch hitter. He's performing well. He's gotten some good pitches to hit. He's done a phenomenal job. He deserves credit. But for any Yankee fan to go out there and say the Yankees will be better off with Lyle Overbay playing first base than Mark Teixeira, you're out of your cotton pick in mind. You don't understand baseball. And to be honest, you're just kind of a guy that just is tired of booing the same players. You, you, know, you don't have a good head on your shoulder if you think Lyle Overbay is better than Mark Teixeira. So you can't go out there and say it. But what has to happen is the players have to work themselves back in. And we've talked about it. I've talked about it on the morning throwdown. I've talked about it with, uh, with uh, you know, some other, other uh, key performers on the MTR radio network. Is that it's going to be a gradual thing. Once Curtis Granderson comes back, then probably Ben Francisco is gone. And then maybe Kevin Euclid is the next to come back. And you think about whether uh, whether Jason Nix is more vulnerable or Brennan Bosch is more vulnerable. One of those guys goes. And then, and then eventually Jeter comes back and eventually A-Rod comes back and eventually guys like Eduardo Nunez and either Nix or Bosch go. And then once Teixeira gets back, it's probably time to part ways with Lyle Overbay. But you got to understand that these things happen for a reason. That the Yankees moving on from some of these players that have helped them out to a point, you have to go through it. There's going to be some tough decisions. And maybe maybe some of the players take longer to come back. So a guy like Lyle Overbay will get to play the full season with the Yankees. It's possible. You know, you know other players are going to get hurt at certain times. Lyle Overbay may be that last cut. And that may hurt some Yankee fans, particularly if he's performing at the level that he is. And you know what may end up happening? Maybe the Yankees need a reliever or something. And they trade a hot over Bay for a relief pitcher. It's possible. He, maybe he ends up getting traded. If he gets designated for assignment, you know he's going to get claimed. So that might be the option that the Yankees have to go through. But you look, and, and here, here's where it becomes a numbers game. Because as much as Yankee fans hate to say it, as much as it bothers Yankee fans to talk about this, you got you're, a healthy A-Rod is going to be on your roster. Uh, no questions about it. Kevin Euclid is going to be on your roster. Mark Teixeira is going to be on your roster. Derek Jeter is going to be on your roster. So you figure your, your infield is going to be Teixeira, Cano, Jeter, and Euclid. Healthy. Healthy Cervelli behind the plate. A healthy A-Rod DHing. Granderson, Ichiro, Gardner as your outfielders. With your key bench players are going to be Wells and Overbay, and Travis Hafner. So that's 12 right there. You have a backup catcher, which is going to be Chris Stewart. That's 13. So if you're keeping 12 pitchers, that's your roster right there. The rest of the guys are going to be gone. If you're going to keep 11 pitchers and keep the extra position player, then you think about whether or not you want to keep Jason Nix or Eduardo Nunez. 
and they really become the last the last thoughts here. And remember, you do want somebody that can play some shortstop. So Nixon Nunez may push out a guy like Lyle Overbay. And I think those are very interesting things to think about, things that we don't really touch on too much. It's going to be a numbers game. It's going to be unfortunate. But I think in the end, when it comes to whether it's A-Rod or Teixeira, whoever that last player coming back for the New York Yankees, the unfortunate thing about it is one of those, you know, you're pretty much going to have to say Lyle Overbay may be out the door. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for being part of this first hour. Uh, we'll be back in about five minutes or so to finish up the show. Lots to go over back after this.